All right, and now we want to open up God's Word, so let's pray and ask God to meet us in the book of Hebrews. Lord, thank you for this passage. This has been powerful for my heart and soul this week, and I pray for help, Lord. Give me wisdom, give me your heart, and give us all ears to hear what what you had the author of Hebrews write in these words. And I pray that you would strengthen us and encourage our faith. I pray that you'd lead people to faith today. If there's some here who, who haven't yet come to the place where they trust you as Savior, Lord, and treasure, I pray that you would do that this morning and strengthen all of us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going through a series in the book of Hebrews, and if you need a Bible this morning, if you came without one, raise your hand. We want to give you one to look on with. We want you all to have a Bible. This is very important. Like we say, the words in the Bible are the most important words you will get this morning, far more than mine. My goal is to introduce you to these words and have you be captured by these words here. So raise your hand, get a Bible. Hebrews 2 is on page 1001 in the Bibles that that we just passed out, so... Now here's what we've seen so far in the book of Hebrews. So in chapter 1, you can see it up here on the screen, and it's in your, on your notes there too, the author says, here's kind of the flow of thought of where the author's going. He starts off in verses 1 through 4, and he says, since the God of the universe, think about this, the creator of everything, the God of the universe, has spoken to us in sending his own son. It's huge. Verses 1 through 4. And since, this is verses 5 through 14, the Son, God's Son Jesus, is superior to the angels by virtue of the fact that he himself is God. So since God has spoken to us in his Son, who is superior to the angels, he is God himself on the earth. Since God has spoken to us in that way, chapter 2, verse 1, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard about Jesus. We need to cling to God's word about Jesus, as we've been talking these last couple weeks. Then, in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, he gives two further reasons for why we should continue to, to cling to God's word. You got them up there? Excellent. Okay, first he says, if we neglect this word of salvation, if we, ne- if we stop clinging to it, then our indwelling sin and the world's pressure will cause us to drift away from Christ. And we risk destruction if that happens. Sobering warning. And then the second reason is because we can be absolutely convinced that this word is 100% perfect truth. So that's where we ended up last week. So are you clinging to the word of God? Are you clinging to Jesus in the scriptures? Do Do you start off your day wanting to meet with Jesus in the word? Throughout the day as as temptations come your way, do you, do you pull out the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and go to work? Right? Are, you, are you clinging to this Word about Jesus? When you're worried about something, feeling hopeless, feeling discouraged, do you open up the Scriptures and say, God, meet me. I believe. Help me in belief. Strengthen my faith through your Word. Show me who you are. Are, are we clinging to the Word? Or at those times when you're just feeling completely like blah spiritually, are you going to the Word of God? Say, Lord, meet me. Stir my heart. Fan these little, you know, barely burning embers into a flame of fire for Jesus Christ. Are we clinging to the Word of God? This is what the author of Hebrews is laboring through the, all of chapter 1 and this beginning section of chapter 2. That's his passion for us. 
And now, in chapter 2, verses 5 through 13, he gives us a third powerful reason. And I want to unpack this reason by asking three questions. I'm just going to dig into this. So the first question is, what destiny had God originally planned for humanity? Here you are on planet Earth. You're here, not by any accident, but because the God of the universe chose to create you. And what was the original destiny that he created us for? That's the question. Look at verse 5. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Let's unpack that. So the author wants us to know he's talking about the world to come. He's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. He's talking about eternity, eternal life. And the author says that God has not subjected the world to come to angels. He did not subject it to angels. Okay, so who did he subject it to? The author wants us to be wondering, okay, if it's not to angels, then who did God subject the the world to come, the heavens and the earth, to? And to answer that question, the author of Hebrews quotes from Psalm chapter 8. Okay, now, when you read Psalm chapter 8, and these verses is quoted, it's clear that the author of of Psalm 8 is talking about humanity. Psalm 8 explains the original purpose for which God created humanity. So if you read Psalm 8 in its original context, it's talking about us, you and me. We're there in Psalm 8. Now, some commentators think that the author of Hebrews takes Psalm 8, which applies to us in its original context, and instead applies it to Jesus. That's possible, but I don't think that's what the author of Hebrews is doing. There's no... There's no reason to conclude that here. And the best approach is just to take the passages in their original context and let them speak for themselves, unless the author gives us some big reason. So so I'm just sticking with Psalm 8. Lots of commentators do that. I think that they're right in going that direction. So verses 6 through 8 of Hebrews chapter 2 is the author quoting from Psalm 8, which describes God's original purpose for humanity. And it is breathtaking. Check out what he says. Start in verse 6. It has been testified somewhere, that's Psalm 8, and the psalmist is, is talking to God in these next verses. This is, this is the quote from Psalm 8, and he says, quote, God, what is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet. You know, stop there. So think about what God did in creating humanity. Okay? We weren't here, okay? Before God created us, we weren't here. Right? The only reason we're here is because God chose to create us. So we were nothing, we didn't exist, but then in great mercy and love, God created Humanity created us. And what destiny had God intended for us originally? It's, it's astonishing. God made us a little while, for a little while lower than the angels. Know that phrase, for a little while, which means that God's ultimate destiny is that we would be over the angels, superior to the angels. That's your original destiny. Next line. God's plan was to crown us with glory and honor. Now just, just think about this. Think about the God of the universe 
all-powerful, just ablaze with majesty and glory and honor. We're talking God here. And think of what it would mean to have God come to you and crown you with glory and honor. Think of the God of the universe crowning you and you and you and you. Think of what that would mean. Okay? And God's plan was to put everything in subjection under our feet so that everything in creation would be helping us, serving us for our good and for our joy. God created humanity with that that intention. So can you see why the psalmist would say, with this destiny, who are we that you would give this to us? Who are we that you would think of us in this way? God, you are amazing. And it is true that God is amazing. What a glorious God. This this should give you a picture of, of the kind of being we're dealing with with God. God is just overflowing with goodness and love and compassion that he would create out of nothing humanity for this destiny. This is awesome. Now, this raises a crucial question. If this is God's original destiny for us, what happened? What happened? Right? Start with the rest of verse 8. The author then is, is kind of summarizing Psalm 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. So our original destiny was to, to be over everything. Okay? I mean, under God, obviously, to be over, over everything. But that hasn't happened, as you can see from the rest of verse 8. The author says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. That's true, isn't it? I mean, look around. Is everything in subjection to us? Not hardly. Earthquakes destroy. Hurricanes damage. Cancer torments. Okay? And there's one issue in particular that the author is especially wanting us to feel is not in subjection to us. Rather, we are in subjection to it, and that is death. Look at verses 14 and 15. You can see. He says, jumping down to verses 14 and 15, we'll, we'll unpack this more next week, but just to give you a feel of what the author wants us to, to understand here. Since, therefore, verse 14, the children share in flesh and blood, we are human beings, flesh and blood, he, Jesus, himself likewise partook of the same things. He, fully God, took on flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So is everything subject to us? Not hardly. You especially see that with the reality of death. Not only are we not over death, but we are subject to lifelong fear in our enslavement to death. So just ponder this question. We've just looked at what is God's original destiny for us? So what's happened? Because we're not over the angels. Remember he said just for a little while he created us lower the angels, which means we're going to end up over the angels. Are we over the angels? Not hardly. In fact, a fallen angel, the devil, right, has the power of death over us. Verse 15. 
We're not crowned by God with glory and honor. I mean, just look at the world. Look at the news. Look at the headlines. I mean, we're kicking and gouging and screaming. We're abusing and oppressing and harming. I mean, we just, we're not crowned with God's glory and honor. And we do not have everything in subjection to us. And this is most clearly seen in the fact that we are subject to death. We are on the road to dying. Okay, so if God's original intention for us was to have us just be for a little while lower than the angels, end up being over the angels, as amazing as they are, if God's original intention was to have us be crowned with glory and honor, but God himself would crown us with his glory and be shining with his beauty, if God's original intention was to have everything be in subjection to us, where everything's working towards us for good, what happened? What happened to God's original intention? The fall happened. Genesis 3 happened. Adam and Eve sinned. And and you and I sinned. And so in justice, because God's perfectly just, he had to withdraw this blessing from planet Earth and allow the curse to come. Remember Genesis 3? Curse. That's what's happened. Our sin caused us to forfeit, forfeit, the original destiny that God had planned for us. This isn't just like once upon a time story. This is reality. This is what's happening, okay? This is real. Your chair is real. Your body's real. This is really what's happened in in the history of the universe. God created humanity for an amazing destiny that made the psalmist say, who are you, God, that you would do something that's amazing for us? Incredible original plan. And yet, it hasn't happened. We have forfeited God's original plan because of our sin. God in justice withdrew that and allowed the curse to come. And we see evidences of it everywhere we go. But the story doesn't end there. This is amazing. God, as much display of glory as he gave when he created us, this is an even greater display of his glory and mercy. He didn't let the story stop there. He made a way for us to be restored to our original destiny. This is what's happening on planet Earth. He made a way. How did God restore us to our original destiny? That's the point of verses 9 through 13. Let's just walk through it phrase by phrase. How did God restore us to the original destiny that he had planned for us? This was all part of his plan. He wasn't surprised by any of this. This is all part of his plan, but here's how he did it. First, God made Jesus to be a man like us who was lower than the angels for a little while. End of verse 8. At present, the author says, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, that's to us, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Okay, we don't see see everything in subjection to us. Something's gone wrong. But what we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Now notice the parallel between verse 7, where Psalm 8 says that we human beings were made by God to be for a little while lower than the angels. Notice that parallel between verse 7 And verse 9, where we read that now Jesus was made for a little while lower than the angels. See, we 
man, flesh and blood people, had forfeited our original destiny, but Jesus became a man to win back for us our original destiny. Okay, that's what happened. So here's how this worked. Jesus was fully God, second person of the Trinity, God the Son, from eternity past, always fully God. That's who he was. And God had Jesus become a man for a little while lower than the angels. Now, now, now why? Why did Jesus need to become a man? It's because we needed a man, a flesh and blood human being, to win back for us the destiny that we had forfeited by our sin. So, see, we, we'd forfeit our destiny because of our sin, and so to have that be regained, we needed one of us, somebody who's fully man, who would not sin, but who'd respond rightly to God the Father so that our forfeited destiny could be won back. We needed a, a human being, and that's one reason that Jesus, who was fully God, was made by God to become a man, so he could win back the destiny we'd lost. Second, God crowned Jesus with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Okay, keep reading verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, okay, he became fully man, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Now, notice the parallel between verse 7, where Psalm 8 says that God's plan was to crown us with glory and honor, and there's a parallel between that and verse 9 where Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because of the, the suffering of death. See, we were supposed to fully trust God, gladly obey God, joyfully worship God, and in, in response, God would crown us with his glory and his honor. This is what we were supposed to do. But we did not do that. And so we forfeited our destiny. But Jesus did trust God 100%, trusted the Father all through his life, obeyed God perfectly even to the point of Gethsemane and even to the point of being nailed to the cross. He just kept saying, yes, Father, yes, Father, yes, Father. So here's a man, the God-man, who is doing it. He's doing what we were supposed to do. And so because he obeyed and trusted God perfectly, God crowned him with glory and with honor. Now, so... Step by step, in this passage, we see that Jesus is winning back for us the destiny that we had forfeited. We were human beings a little lower than the angels. God had Jesus become a human being a little lower than the angels, okay? We disobeyed God. Jesus obeyed God fully as a man, God-man, but as a man. We forfeited the honor and glory of God, but Jesus, because of his obedience, was crowned with the glory and honor of God. And so step by step, Jesus is living the destiny of Psalm 8. You see that? He is fulfilling Psalm 8. Jesus is regaining the lost destiny. Second step, God had Jesus taste death for everyone. Read all of verse 9 again. But we see him, Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Jesus is doing, fulfilling Psalm 8. Namely, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the sufferings of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. 
Okay, we were created to live forever. Okay? Because of our sin, we face the eternal death. Physical death, punishment from God forever. We face eternal death. But God's gracious. He loves us. He loves us. And so he sent Jesus his own son, and he had Jesus. I mean, the cross was no accident. The cross wasn't God saying, oh no, what's happening to my son? This was the plan. The father and the son decided that Jesus would taste death for us. And so God took the death that we deserved, and he poured it out upon Jesus. And for those who trust and cling to Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, and treasure, Jesus died the death that we were supposed to die on the cross. The punishment of God poured out upon him, dying physically. And then Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. He rose from the dead, showing that he conquered death and won back then the destiny of eternal life that was ours to begin with. So here the the God-man Jesus living Psalm 8 and now death is subject to him. Don't you love that? We who had been in slavery to the fear of death all our life, the resurrection is awesome! A man, the God-man, has conquered death. Jesus Christ. We don't need to fear death anymore. Do you see that? We were subject to fear of death all our lives. We'll talk more about that next week, what that means. But can you see now, because of Jesus tasting death for us, rising from the dead, conquering death, we don't need to fear death anymore. Death is subject to Jesus Christ. Fourth, God made a way for Jesus to bring many sons to glory. Beginning of verse 10. For it was fitting that he, God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory. Now remember the connection with Psalm 8, verse 7. God created us. He created you because he wanted to crown you with glory and honor. But you and me, we have forfeited that by our disobedience and by our our sin. But then notice verse 10. God now has made a way for Jesus to bring us to the glory that God had originally destined for us. He's bringing us to glory, bringing many sons to glory. So do you see what the author of Hebrews is doing? I just want you to to see the beauty, the power of of what he wants us to be thinking about here. Psalm 8 describes the original destiny that God had created us to have. We forfeited it because of our sin. So in great mercy, God had Jesus become the Psalm 8 man. Okay? He became the Psalm 8 man, except without sin. So he could be crowned with glory and honor, and he can bring us to the glory that we originally were created for, but have forfeited. Fifth, puzzling statement. God made Jesus perfect through suffering. What does that mean? Read all of verse 10. For it was fitting that he, God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And don't misunderstand this. It's not that Jesus was morally imperfect and then through suffering he became morally perfect. Not at all. Jesus has always been morally perfect. Okay? So what's what's going on here? 
Here's what this means. Before Jesus became a man, before he became a man, like flesh and blood man like us, he had not been able to give perfect human obedience. That's what he wasn't able to give, because he was God. He wasn't man yet. So before he became a man, he wasn't able to give perfect human obedience. And so he became a man. And by perfectly obeying, he became the perfectly obedient human who could win back the destiny we had forfeited. So that's, that's the perfection. Not a matter of moral imperfection and then becoming morally perfect. Jesus was always morally perfect, flawless, past, present, future, always. But what he wasn't able to do before he took on human nature was to be a perfectly obedient human. He wasn't able to do the Psalm 8 thing. He wasn't able to be the Psalm 8 man fulfilling what Psalm 8 had been all about. But by virtue of becoming a man, he was able to. Last one, sixth. God formed a family of Jesus and his brothers and sisters. I say sisters here, just so that you women understand that you're included in this whole passage, okay? The Greek word brothers usually is to be taken generically, which means both includes brothers and sisters. So read verses 11 through 13. For he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that's all who are clinging to Jesus, we all have one source. I think that means flesh and blood, human nature. That's what he says down in verse 14. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them, call us, brothers and sisters. Think about that. Jesus looks at you and says, brother. Looks at you and says, sister. Okay? Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Again, quoting from Isaiah 8 this time, I will put my trust in him. So Jesus trusted the Father, just like he calls us to trust him in the Father. And again, continuing in verse 13, Behold, I and the children God has given me. So by trusting him, we become family with Jesus. Okay, let's, let's, let's unpack this now. What, what's going on here? Remember, God had an amazing destiny for mankind. Because of our sin, because of the fall of Genesis 3, we forfeited it, facing eternal judgment from God, none of the future God had intended, intended for us. And the only way this could be won back was through a man living Psalm 8. Flesh and blood man, okay, just like you and me, needed to be a Psalm 8 man who perfectly obeyed the Father and fulfilled what Psalm 8 was saying. So, so who could be that flesh and blood man? None of us. Okay, it's way too late for that. Okay, we've all sinned against God repeatedly. So God had Jesus, fully God, Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, had him become a flesh and blood man just like us, so Jesus could win back our lost, forfeited destiny. And so just as he, as he unfolds the passage here, so Jesus fully obeyed, fulfilling Psalm 8. Jesus died so we could be forgiven and so we could receive the destiny of Psalm 8. Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death, which fulfilled Psalm 8. It became under his feet, along with everything else. Jesus ascended into heaven where he was crowned with glory and honor, fulfilling Psalm 8. And at the second coming, everything else will be brought in subjection under Jesus' feet. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the destiny that God had 
plan for us in Psalm 8. Okay, so, so what does that mean for us? Here's what God has done. That's the point of verses 11 through 13. When you turn from your sin, when you put your trust in Jesus, when you look to Jesus and say, I trust you, I'm weak, I'm sinful, but I trust you to save me, change me, help me, wash me, fill me, satisfy me, I trust you, Lord. The moment you do that, you are joined to Jesus. He becomes your older brother. You're joined into Jesus' family. He becomes your older brother, and we share then with him in the destiny that God had originally planned for us. By faith alone in Christ alone, you are joined and Jesus becomes your older brother and we share with him and in him in the destiny that God had originally given to us. Hey now, we just covered a lot of ground here. Okay, take a little breath here. What questions does this raise in your mind before we we move into some an application point I want to bring to you? What questions? I want to make sure we're clear on what's going on here. So Psalm 8 describes our original destiny, which God had given to us, which we by our sin have forfeited. Psalm 8's over when it comes to us. Okay, so what can we do to regain our lost destiny as you know, human beings? What can we do? Not try to become better, not try to make up for it. Too late for that. God's justice... We're damned. We are. Too late for that. But God is so loving and merciful. He had his son, fully God, become a flesh and blood human to live Psalm 8. Perfectly obedient, crowned with glory and honor, breaking the power of death, conquering death, death brought under his feet. Jesus has won back for us the destiny of Psalm chapter 8. And so by trusting him, you are joined to him. And share with him in this destiny. Okay, so I'm I'm just going to restate that so that maybe there's some more questions raised in here. Do you get that? You're just like, I hope you're stunned because you're like so excited about this. Okay, that's like, what did he say? This might be that passage, but let's take a closer look. Okay, and if so, then the way I, it's not that he was morally imperfect and he needed to become morally perfect. Are we all clear on that? That's really important. Does it make sense that what he wasn't able to do, though, was to give perfect human obedience? And so he became a man so he could and fulfill Psalm 8. So that, might, that word might help, because if we think perfect, we think you're either, if you're not perfect, then you're imperfect, and that's not the case at all. Good. Is Jesus making us perfect? Um, we will be perfect in heaven, so yeah. And we will finally in heaven then be, be absolutely morally flawless in heaven. We're on the way there by his power, by his grace, but that, that's where we're going. Yes. We will be in heaven perfect, right? But, but in this life we're moving towards it. We're not, not in this life. Okay, good. All right, now, here, here's, here's where I want us to end up with this. What does this mean for us? Okay, here, we've just taken this trip back to Psalm 8 and our original destiny, lost Jesus. What does this mean for us? I want to apply this to times this week when you're tempted to sin. Okay? You'll be tempted in the next hour, not sooner. Okay? So I'm going to apply it to times this week when you'll be tempted to sin. Now, my dad, it's really been helpful for me. He says that often the reason we sin is because we are without hope. Because we just look ahead and it's just despair. Okay? See if you can, you can relate to that. 
So there's no future, right? Just the, there's just despair. There's no hope. So I'm, I'm just going to click on the porn, right? Or there's just no future for me. Just despair. The future looks bleak. So I'm just going to veg in front of the TV. Or I'm just going to go ahead and nurture this bitterness. Or, or I'm just going to you know, slack off and be lazy at work. Whatever it might be. Often, not always, but often, the reason we sin is because the future just looks bleak. Despair. It's a council of despair. So when you're tempted this week, I want you to try an experiment. Just try this and just see what happens, okay? When you're tempted, stop and think about what it will mean. Because this is in your destiny, brother, sister in Christ. Think of what it will mean to have, to, to, see, to see Jesus as your older brother. See him, flesh and blood, older brother, perfect older brother. And to see him with love in his eyes for you. Say, brother, sister. So think of what it will mean to see Jesus in that way. And then think of what it will mean as a son or daughter of God the Father to be led to glory. Which means that in Jesus alone... And with Jesus, the day is coming when God the Father will crown you with glory and honor. That just sends chills up and down my spine. This is your future. And then, think of what it'll mean to see death and Satan and everything at the second coming, brought under Jesus' feet. Conquers all of us, ruling everything. And that because you're connected with Jesus, sin and Satan and death is under your feet with him. There's a destiny for you. In Christ alone. This is your future, brother, sister. He is our older brother. This is where things are going. It's promised. We talk about trusting God's promises. Here's a big, juicy, thick one to sink your teeth into. And so when you're tempted this week, stop and think. This is your destiny. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, this is your destiny. Stop and ponder. There's hope, there's future, there's a destiny, it's promised, so don't sin. Instead, cling to Jesus. All right, let's stand together. I want us to pray over this. Our minds are kind of spinning, Lord. This has been heady stuff this morning. The destiny you originally had for us, how we have forfeited it through sin, how you sent Jesus to be the Psalm 8 man we weren't so that he could regain for us the destiny you had intended for us. Heady stuff. Exhilarating stuff. Hope-giving truth and promise. And so I pray that this afternoon, this week, when we are tempted to sin, which we all will be, that we would stop and think, 
of what this destiny will mean because it will be ours through what you've done for us, Jesus Christ. So help us, strengthen us through your word, I pray. And let us take this amazing good news of the gospel and tell people about it this week. Let me tell you what we heard Sunday morning. This is amazing. Oh Lord, use our words, use our love, use our lives to see lost people saved and use this to help us conquer sin this week, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.